We should always applaud the Word of God, but especially today, thank you very much, friends of Friendship Ministry, and some of the mentors and teachers too, for reading God's Word for us this morning. <clears throat> we, uh, we see in Friendship Ministry, we've already seen this morning, a beautiful picture of your encouragement for one another and your encouragement to us as a congregation, building all of us up uh, as you share your abilities and uh, your joy that Chris talked about, your joy and energy with us. Wouldn't it be nice if when we, he- when we heard God's word, we always applauded, we always responded with that kind of joy and excitement and energy. We know, of course, that that is not the case in our world. And so I want to start this morning not with a joy, uh, but with a rather uh, difficult or negative example. Have you heard of cancel culture? This is old news for some of us and probably completely foreign to others. Maybe it's a good reminder for us that as generations, we inhabit very different spaces in our world and enact interact in our society in different ways. Simply put, cancel culture is the idea of taking away support from an individual, their career, taking away popularity, taking away fame because of something they've said or done that's considered unacceptable. To be canceled is effectively to be boycotted with the intent that this person will be ostracized or no longer benefit financially, personally, professionally from their elevated position. Any number of people, famous people, have been canceled for various reasons. I just threw a few up on the screen behind me. Ellen DeGeneres, because of her workplace behavior behind the scenes of her show. Johnny Depp, because of details of his behavior in his marriage that came out during divorce proceedings. Author J.K. Rowling, for comments she made about transgender people. And Justin Timberlake, for how he treated Britney Spears 20 years before that. And that's just to name a few. Now, I don't, what I don't want to do this morning is get into the behavior of celebrities or whether it's good or bad or even uh, whether they deserve to be quote-unquote canceled. Instead, I bring this up because I want to focus our attention this morning on our human reaction to cancel culture. More than that, our human reaction to other people. The British actor... Uh, who plays Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson. He said, cancel culture is the digital equivalent of a medieval mob roaming the streets looking for someone to burn. It's actively looking for people so that you can attack them in some way, and this is key, for the purpose of feeling superior about yourself. Mr. Bean's comments, and I know he's got a real name, but he'll always be Mr. Bean to me. Mr. Bean's comments remind us that this human reaction is nothing new. Cancel culture might be uh, a Western idea uh, coming about in the last few years, but the idea, the desire to feel superior has always been with us as people. Even as uh, K-pop and K-media has found worldwide audiences, There's been a huge increase in that community as well of very strong reactions against certain people. The desire to feel superior has always been with us. It's just found a new home on social media and online. 
we might think, in some ways, that this is no big deal. That putting others down in our minds or in our hearts or even gossiping just a little bit, well, others deserve it, especially people in the public eye. Talking about others is just a part of living in society, we might say. But Scripture is concerned with the heart with which we approach others. And the heart we have is shown in what we think and what we say about others. When we approach others with malice and with gossip, we show that our priority is to feel better about ourselves or superior about ourselves. Malice is seeing the bad and saying the bad about someone else for the purpose of tearing them down. That's what we call bullying to kids. Criticism can intend to be constructive and can try to be helpful, but malice never is. And gossiping is even worse. Gossiping is seeing the bad and saying the bad about someone else in the presence of others for the purpose of tearing down that person. And it doesn't just affect them individually, but weaponizes malice so that it affects someone's reputation in the broader group, even in broader society. Why am I getting into all of this? Well, Scripture has a lot to say about malice and about gossip. Together, they're directly mentioned about, uh, not about, they're directly mentioned 31 times in the Bible. And that's almost as many. It's about the same number as of times that Scripture mentions sexual sin. And look how much we talk about that and how little we talk about malice and gossip. And then, if you look at indirect references to malice and gossip, say referencing their opposites or correcting that kind of behavior, the number of mentions in Scripture soars to almost 200. Why is this such a huge priority in Scripture? Because it has to do with the unity of the church. And unity is a big priority in Scripture. It's also why we're ending this series on unity, talking about encouragement and edification. Because Paul uses those two words in this text that friendship read for us so well. Encourage one another, Paul says, and build each other up. A seminary professor once shared the following definitions of encouragement and edification with me, or with with a class during a lecture. He said, encouragement is seeing the good and saying the good about someone else. Edification is seeing the good and saying the good in the presence of others. Encouragement builds up another person. Edification builds up the whole body, the entire body of Christ. In our world of so much evil, when it's hard to see the good around us, it's tempting in our sinful human way to see the bad and say the bad, even to see the bad and say the bad in the presence of others. But whatever the bad, this approach repays sin with sin. It shows our sinful hearts by trying to make ourselves superior. And I want to just pause here for a moment for an aside to say that there still is a very important and necessary place, as I said in the prayer earlier from, uh, from Reverend George Device, there's a very important and, and significant place for Christians to call out evil 
uh, to speak truth to power, as we said in the prayer, and to call others to repentance and to reparation. But the danger is a danger that Jesus points out in his ministry. That, and it's a, what I mentioned last week as well. That we spend so much time focused on what's going on in other people's lives, in the speck in their own eye, in other words, that we miss the log in our own eye. This is really a question about what's going on in our hearts. So we call others to justice and to give their hearts to Jesus. But we also need to first spend time and energy looking at our own hearts and seeing whether we are uh, with malice or with gossip trying to make ourselves feel superior or whether we've given our hearts to Christ such that we are willing and even eager to encourage one another and build each other up. You may have heard the advice that's commonly given in marriage settings that when a husband and wife fight and one person wins, both lose. When you and a friend fight, if one wins, you both lose. Why is this? Because a couple, whether, whether they're married or friends, you can only face problems together and win together so that you both win. When one friend loses a vicious argument, both lose because the relationship is lost. And the relationship is more important and more significant than whatever that specific argument is about. Likewise, a congregation can only win together when we face problems together rather than facing off against one another. In a unit, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. Likewise, when one part is encouraged and when one part is edified, we are all built up together. Paul concludes his letter to the Thessalonians saying this, which friendship already read for us, but I want to repeat. He says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. I want to focus for just a moment on Paul's words to, on the one hand, hold in highest regard in love those who work among you, and on the other hand, to warn those who are idle and disruptive. Paul knows what many of us have sensed, that those, excuse me, Paul knows what many of us have sensed, that those who are devoted to God, whose hearts are devoted to God and not to themselves, that they are the ones who work hard among God's people. They are the ones who care for others. They are the ones who even admonish those they love so that, they, the, 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 so that those they love will follow Christ more fully as well. These people know that their life is not about them, but that their life is hidden with God in Christ. So they not only see the good and say the good with joy, they are always pursuing the good. So also these leaders, our leaders at River Park Church, 
They're eager to encourage others and to edify the church because they know that it's Christ who is built up, that he is the love of their life. Have you noticed how our leaders at River Park are eager to build one another up, to build us up, leaders in our council, leaders on our staff, leaders of each ministry, how eager they are to encourage you as, a, as our congregation and to build you up, to build all of us up. In contrast, we know that there are also those who are idle and disruptive. Those are the people who act with malice and gossip. They show by their actions and that their hearts are focused on themselves, not on God. We will never find unity focused on ourselves because we don't have the ability to love others as they need to be loved. Only Christ can love each of us fully and perfectly as we need to be loved. And so we turn all of us, we turn our hearts to Christ because the love of Christ is not self-seeking, but neither is it generic. It's specific to each one of us. And so to focus today on our, uh, on our theme for encouragement and edification, I want to mention the, the aspect of Christ's love that requires us to take time to get to know one another. When we know each other, then we begin to understand how we encourage one another and how we build each other up. Excuse me, I've got a dry throat this morning. All of us are unique. All of us have different talents and abilities, different skills, different limitations. A child does not need the same love that a parent does. What we receive as love, what we need as love, depends on who we are. Uh, It depends on our ethnicity, on our generation, on our gender, and most of all, on our unique character as an individual. So to see the good and to say the good in a way that will be a blessing to another person means we have to know them well. I'll offer a negative example and a positive one. As a negative example, a few months back, a Christian who's not a member of our church asked, uh, came up to me and said, how are you and your kids settling into the new city after a year here? Now, this person intended to be kind. His heart was in the right place. But it was a really awkward and painful interaction because he hadn't taken the time to get to know me. Instead, he had assumed that I was like he was, that I was married with several children. By contrast, I'm convinced that one of the reasons we all love friendship ministry is is that it's clear to us that each participant is unique. Each has different needs, different gifts, different passions, and different abilities. And friendship ministry is set up to acknowledge those differences. To acknowledge each person's unique character. This is what allows them to be such a beautiful group. Each member is encouraged to participate in different groups or different events, even in the singing. To participate as he or she is able. And the group's activities and priorities are determined by its members' needs. 
not by some leader's hopes. It could not succeed any other way. And so these dedicated leaders intentionally get to know the, the members of Friendship Ministry. They get to know their gifts and needs. They encourage and edify. They see the good and they say the good in the individual members and they do it in the presence of the group. They don't do this as extra work or as some sort of discipline that has to be practiced. They do this because they've taken time to know the friends at Friendship and they've been captivated by love for those who are a part of the group. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is asked a question by the disciples of John the Baptist. It's not a question from the Pharisees where they're trying to trap him. It's a real question. They say, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus' answer shows that their question isn't just about fasting in particular, but rather about uh, it's one, fasting as one example of a broader mindset. The question really is, why do you and your disciples do things differently than the established norm? Now, you might not be familiar with the question from John the Baptist's disciples, but you've probably heard Jesus' answer before. In Matthew, this is Matthew chapter 9. Jesus says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. This is how Jesus explains his different and new way of ministry. It's not that there's a problem with fasting in particular. It's that the hearts behind the actions in his day were not focused on God, but on self. The Pharisees corrupted good practices like fasting because they practiced them with selfishness in their hearts. So that the fruit of their fasting was praise for themselves and feeling superior about themselves, not glory to God. Jesus is saying that he will not pour himself and his goodness into these broken wineskins. He's not going to attach himself to their tattered practices. Jesus is going to create a new thing so that his goodness and this new way will both be preserved. Likewise, the fruit of Christianity in the West has been mixed. There's been generations of blessing and mission to our world. But likewise, there has been nearly constant splits and division. Ever increasingly fine theological distinctions that every time we make them exclude more and more people. It's incredible to me, sad, incredibly sad, that whenever we draw these lines, we somehow end up on the inside and others end up on the outside. I would think that if we were drawing lines with God's eyes, at least some of the time, we would end up on the outside. All that to say, our attempts to do good have become twisted up 
with selfishness. Not because our Western culture or or our place in history is bad. This is just the way that people are. This is the way of human effort apart from focus on God. Because of it, among other things, but because of this self-focus, the church in the global West continues to decline, to shrivel, and to tear. But we have said that we want unity, unity with Christ and unity with one another. So we're not going to find it doing things the same way that they've always been done for 200 years. The path of the last 200 years of Christianity in the West has led us to where we are. We need to follow Jesus' leading as he pours himself into new wineskins. So enter River Park Church's new vision, reaching out, drawing in, creating mosaic community. What we're trying to do is follow the, the new leading of Jesus. It's not a criticism of old clothes or old wineskins. It's a recognition that God is doing something new. And that because we love God, we are more committed to the vision of God than we are to our old clothes or our old wineskins. We are more committed to following God than we are to our own comfort and even our own preferences. When we see the good and say the good, we pursue the good that is always Christ's leading. And then we're free from this endless task of trying to feel superior about ourselves. It's a sinful cycle that is so easily, or that we so easily get caught up in. This is what sin does. It promises more than it can deliver and then leaves us exhausted, always trying for a little bit more, a little bit more. And so much of the, the danger of our way, our, our, our old self way of thinking. We just want to grow a little bit more. We just want to fix things a little bit better. We just want to try a little bit harder, but sin always promises more than it can deliver and asks increasingly more of us. God invites us to a new way. God invites us to see the good and say the good in others, to celebrate God at work in others individually and in our community. Then we are all built up. Pursuing the good is the mission of God's church that remains. To see the good and to celebrate the good of God at work in his world. Brothers and sisters, God's kingdom is growing. His church is bearing fruit around the world. Christianity is growing in every area of the world except the West. Some places it's growing slightly. Some places it's growing massively by leaps and bounds. God's kingdom is growing. This is what captivates our hearts, what unites us and builds all of us up. That when we can see the good and say the good of what God is doing in our world in the presence of others. That we, when we get to pursue that good, we are all built up. Why or how? 
Because the goodness of God's kingdom and the goodness of God's church from all around the world has been gathered here in Calgary, has been gathered here at River Park Church. Many of us are from different backgrounds. I thought about this as I thought about the war in Ukraine this morning. I just thought about just how many of us, old and young, are children of war. Many, uh, many of the Dutch immigrants who first came to River Park Church, the first Christian Reformed Church, were children of the Second World War. Many uh, Korean immigrants to our community are leaving the Korean, leaving the, the or leaving the, the legacy of the Korean War. Many of the refugees who come, who have come to our community and been sponsored by our church, are leaving the legacy of war in their home countries. They're carrying each of us and all of us, carrying with us a, a, a significant part of who we are and a significant part of our faith in Christ. And God has brought us all together and he has called us to be one. He has invited us to be one. Each of us as individuals with unique abilities, gifts, challenges, and unique cultural backgrounds. God can make us one when we prioritize encouraging one another, knowing one another so that we can build each other up, not just in person individually, but in the broader community. And normally, I think I would want to try to end the sermon there. But with the war in Ukraine and with the beginning of Lent coming up, this Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, I wanted to add just one more thing as we close. What if you can't see the good? What if you can't see the good? We know all of us, of course, when we're grieving, when we're discouraged, we know that good is still out there in the abstract. But sometimes, because of what's going on in our lives, in our world, in our families, Sometimes we just can't see it. What then? As I've alluded to in this sermon, when we can't see the good, our sinful way, our human way, is malice and gossip. It's to, to focus on the bad, to weaponize the bad, and to use it against other people. But this is not God's way. When we can't see the good, God's way is lament. God offers his people lament as a way to see the bad, but to hold the bad up to God in honest anger, pain, hope, and trust. Lament doesn't turn our malice or our pain against other people. Lament is honest about our heartbreak before God. Lament does not claim to be an objective view of reality. It doesn't try to gather all of the facts. It simply offers our broken and beating hearts to God and asks him what he is going to do. We're going to spend the next five weeks in lament, beginning next week looking at war and all kinds of conflict in our world. 
But between now and then, I want to close again with the words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, uh, you likely don't know, is one of the latest of the New Testament letters. It was one of the last letters that was written. And it was written as persecution in the early church was starting to ramp up in a significant way for uh, the first time. And into the, middle, into the midst of all of that unsettling and uh, great difficulty, or di- greatly difficult situation, the Apostle Paul closes with these words. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And may God himself, this beautiful blessing, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, not just once, but through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you, the one who calls us, is faithful. And he will do it. Let's pray. Father God, we are all children of war. We are children of division. Because we know that we are children of Adam and Eve. We are children of sin. But that is not the first thing that is true about us. True about us. We celebrate, Lord, that first and foremost, we are your children. That you have welcomed us into your presence. That you have made us brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ and co-inheritors of all of your blessings, chief among them, your presence with us. So God, bring joy in our midst. Bring unity in our church. Give us the desire to work together to battle the challenges we see rather than work with the challenges to battle each other. God, make us people who are eager to know one another, not just in the surface level, but deeply and intimately so that we can encourage one another. We can see the good in one another's lives and call it out with joy. That we can edify each other, see the good in one another's lives, say the good in the presence of others so that all of us might be built up. God, we celebrate that this is not just the task that you have given us, but the model also that you gave us. Sending your son to show us what the good and perfect life looks like and leaving your spirit to remain with us so that we might look forward to all the good that is to come. Father, be with your church. Continue to lead us and guide us, even as in this coming week we enter this new season of Lent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.